So good morning. We are in Titus chapter 3. We should end the book today. Lord willing, we'll be doing Philemon next week. That's probably a one-week study. And if the Lord comes back, we'll talk to Philemon in heaven, right? Okay. So now I'm in trouble because that's just one verse. Because Paul's motivation was not to make us all legalists with two-by-fours for spines. He wanted us to learn about love. Not just our love for God and how that can increase, but also our love for, for fellow men. And so as we go through these studies that have imperatives, that's his motivation. The goal of this command is love. Uh, John wrote, he said, my greatest joy is that my children follow in the truth. So the, the payback for the pastor, the teacher, Paul, was to have people respond in the right way. And again, legalism is such a cancer that if you fall into it, climbing out of that rut, first of all, even recognizing you're in the rut, because, you know, I'm so wonderful, I'm so righteous. Recognizing it and getting out of it is a challenge. Speak to you from first-hand experience, and I hope you never have that first-hand experience yourself. So, we're going to cover these five verses, but I want to come to, to this particular one first. We covered this last week, but we're going to talk about it again today. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. The salvation comes first, and the living for Jesus, the good works, comes later. Circle that word remind, because if you've been in a Sunday school for any time, I'm not going to tell you anything new. That's the good news, because if, if I've got something here that's been, you know, uh, shielded from the church for 2,000 years, and then all of a sudden I come up with a grand revelation, it's probably not true. So remind us. Now, why do we need to be reminded? First of all, for my own, for each of our own edification and instruction, but also each of us are teachers in kind, whether it's kids or the church softball league or at work, whatever it is. And so we need to have this stuff. And we're going to see a verse that's probably the very last verse where Paul is telling Titus to teach the people to learn to devote yourselves to good works. So here we are. Remind the people to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be patient, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. We're going to come back to each of those verses in turn. But here we are. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Now that's not saying that we should be bombing abortion clinics. That's not saying... That, that we're to avoid income tax. You know, I heard even Christians say, I'm not going to pay my income taxes because it's illegal. God hasn't called us to do it. It is illegal, by the way, but that's neither here nor there. God has not called us to have that kind of a fight. But now, Paul and Peter, they were in prison because they weren't following their own counsel to be subject to, to rulers and authorities. Why were they in prison? 
for preaching the word, okay? So, there's Paul, I'm sorry, there's Peter, and he says, it's better to obey God rather than man. There comes a point in time where man's laws diverge from God's laws. That's an interesting quote. Man's laws cannot make moral what God has declared immoral. Now, can it happen here? This is an article from, I think April 24th, the day will come up in a little bit, where a pastor in his 70s was put in jail for preaching God's word. Christian pastor arrested in London for quoting homophobic Bible verses. So there we have it. The man was preaching in Genesis. He talked about the husband of one wife. He didn't use that phrase, but he talked about the procreation and the purpose of marriage. Now, this week, Congress passed an anti-Asian law. Anti-Asian meaning if you say something against somebody from Asia, that's considered hate speech. But we're going to come down after a couple of clicks and you're going to see a really interesting phrase that comes out of this news article. There is no reason that if there's an anti-Asian hate speech law, that there can't be an anti-homosexual law or whatever else all those letters stand for. Now, in our country, you've heard the old phrase, how do you boil a frog, right? You put them in some water. They're not going to say, well, we're going to close the doors of the church if we preach against certain lifestyles or certain whatever. But we'll take your tax exemption away. And then we'll do this, and then we'll do that. Next thing you know, uh, we'll like a church in China. So the two fellows, Sherwood was the preacher, Simpson was his helper. He said the police informed them that a couple people complained. They were street preaching. Police officer warned, and he said there is no freedom to make statements which offend people. Now you've heard this before. The church, the church is a place to comfort the afflicted and put the comfortable. And if a preacher isn't saying something that bothers you every once in a while, then you must be perfect. I got to wondering why modern translations have used the word Hades instead of hell. No, it just doesn't have the same impact if I say just go to Hades. It's, hell is one of those words, and sin is one of those words that they're no longer fashionable to use in a modern church. I'm glad this is not a modern church. We've got modern things like pads and air conditioning. But it's the same old message. That 70-year-old was handcuffed and taken to jail. Can it happen here? Yes. And I've said many a times, I'm going to get good at prison ministry. The goal of this command is love. Be ready for every good work. You know, opportunities, sometimes they come and go, just like that. And I'll speak for myself. Many a times, after the event or the, the scenario, I'd say, I wish I had said X, Y, Z. Or I wish I had done X, Y, Z. 
We need to be ready. In terms of preachers, they say be instant in season and out of season. That means always be ready. Paul said, be ready to give an answer for the faith that's within you. Be ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one. Now, who was that rabbit in the Bambi movie? Thumper, yes. And what did Mrs. Thumper's mom say? If you don't... That's right. If you don't have something good to say, don't say nothing at all. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy. Now, consider that in the backdrop of the Cretans. Liars, beasts, and lazy gluttons. What kind of a cultural shift is it for them to say, avoid quarreling? Liars and beasts. Speak evil of no one. That's heavy-duty stuff. And in, again, in just a few clicks, Paul's going to come and point to himself. He said in one of the epistles, he said, of, of all sinners, I am the chief. I'm the, the, the biggest, the worst. Now, think about his career before he met Jesus on the, on the Damascus Road. He was a student of the Bible. He was a persecutor. He caused people to blaspheme. He killed people. And he did all that out of ignorance. And again, we're going to come back to that verse, it's around 4 or 5, that grace appeared. And imagine the moment when grace appeared to Paul. Now, every once in a while, I won't say every once in a while, thank God, but I've been in situations like accidents or whatever, and we use the phrase, my light flashed before my eyes. Have you ever used that phrase or had that experience? My light flashed before my eyes. Now, I have no idea what was going through Paul's head when Jesus met him on the Damascus Road. But can you imagine how miserably he felt if all that stuff flashed through his mind? And I will tell you, the moment I was saved, it was like this huge rock came off my chest. Pilgrim's Progress, they talk about the, the backpack that this one had. He's carrying all of his sins and all of his guilt. That was taken away. Life became beautiful. The sky became bluer. I'll talk about the birds singing that I was saved in December. That spring, the birds were better. For we ourselves, here comes Paul pointing himself, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, and led astray. Now, you've heard me say many times, I've been saved as an adult. If you were saved as a child, you could sit there and say, well, I've never had those problems. You read Paul in Romans, and he goes to chapter 6 and then to chapter 7, he's talking about... He never, never smoked, drank, cussed, chewed, murdered, coveted, blah, blah, until he got to the word covet. He hit that word covet, and he said, sin revived, and I died. What a blessing to 
somebody can save their child in a Christian home and never experience some of the garbage that people like I have experienced. But yet we all have the same heart. We all have the same potential. Solomon was raised by David, became the wisest man, yet Solomon had a thousand women on the string. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves. You know, some people say, well, I don't want to be a Christian because I'm going to follow all those rules. I was a slave before I was saved. I was a slave to alcohol. I was a slave to, slave to drugs. I was a slave, and we're going to see it up here, worldly lusts. It's not a question of freedom. It's a question of who's my master going to be? Is my master the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan? Is my master uh, self? James tells us, you don't need the devil to sin. It says, lust with that conceived bringeth forth sin. And I can do it all by myself. You want Satan to be your master? You want the lust to be your master? Or do you want Jesus to be your master? We talk about Lord and Savior. Well, he's my Savior because I've got a get out of, get out of jail free card, right? Get out of hell free, get out of hate. Get out of hell free. So he's my Savior. But is he my Lord and Master? I mentioned last week that he's not the Lord of all, but he's not the Lord at all. He said, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and unbe, hated by others and, hang, and hating one another. Liars, beasts, lazy gluttons. Can you imagine a fellowship meal with people like that? I'll tell you the difference between a liar and somebody who tells the truth. Somebody tells the truth doesn't need as good a memory. And you were dead. We're going to expand on Titus 3 3, which you just saw. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. King James And you had to quicken who were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked, following the course of the world. I want to get to this phrase. Among whom we all once lived. Now that's my grandson Sam. And we had a, a before I went on blood thin, I couldn't go out anymore when it's less than 50 degrees. We had a hunting spot in Landenburg that would look east. And we called him the, the New Jersey Hunter. Because he would he'd say, Papa, I see seven geese. And I don't see anything. And he's calling. They're getting closer. And he's calling. So finally, seven geese appeared to me. Well, they appeared to Sam, I don't know how many minutes earlier. So the grace of God appeared to me in my twenties. It appeared to somebody else. My Elizabeth testified she was saved when she was three, and I don't doubt it. I saw a change in her life. And she's never changed her mind. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay? Now, grace, and we studied this last week in chapter 2, 
I didn't get a single dose of grace when I was saved. And God says, okay, Pastor, you're on your own. Words last week, but I wanted to come back to that word up here. No grace keeps coming. Grace upon grace, wave upon wave. And something that was just a, a thing for me, I talked about getting rid of my chewing gum, became a conviction. Grace upon grace. So you see that word appear highlighted several times. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. We spent a lot of time on this verse last week, but I wanted to come back to that word appear. Notice it says, the grace of God has appeared. It does not say the grace of God had appeared. And what that means, I'm going to do a little grammar, that's the present perfect tense, which means it's a progressive. The grace of God has been appearing. It keeps coming and coming. James tells us, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw an eye to God and he'll draw an eye unto you. You want more grace? Let me have it, God. Of course, grace is a teacher, right? So if you want some grace, you're going to get some teaching. And if you're going to get some teaching, that might translate into some doing or some not doing, whichever a case might be. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness, not, not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. We're going to take a walk through Isaiah and Romans 3. There's, just not, there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. No, not one. Well, Paul never met me. I'm just wonderful. I attend the men's Bible study on Friday mornings. You're welcome to come. It's Perkins and Avondale, 7 a.m. And there's a Jewish man that comes. And he brings a great perspective because a lot of things that are written in the, in the New Testament have a genesis in the Old Testament, not talking about the book, but roots in the, in the Old Testament. And he pulls out such beautiful things. But he missed the Messiah. He's still waiting for the second Messiah. And I've had conversations with the man trying to be very careful because I get, if I get too, too mean, he might not come back to Bible study. But I'll tell you one of the toughest things it is to convince a Jewish person of. It's to convince that person of sin. Now, they don't have the monopoly on that. But that's the toughest one, to convince that person of sin. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, are as menstruous rags. That's a pretty disgusting picture, but that's what Isaiah wrote. There is no one righteous, no, not even one. Uh, there are certain faith systems that hold that Mary was perfect. Mary was not perfect. You read Luke chapter 2, he, she talks about my Savior. For Jesus to be her Savior, she had to have been lost. 
Psalm 139 says, In sin my mother conceived me. That's because back to the moral law, even the consummation of marriage was an unclean event. But Jesus was not conceived in sin because Mary had not copulated. He was born of a virgin, born under the law. So he is the only one that would be truly righteous. We're starting to drive a Bible study at at, uh, Oracle on James. We have a a Bible study here going with James. James was Jesus' little brother. Can you imagine? Well, first of all, you don't think about this when Jesus was in the temple because Mary and Joseph are running all over Jerusalem looking for him. Where were his brothers? Did they stay with aunts and uncles as they were making their way back up to Nazareth? The Bible doesn't say. But coming down into Jerusalem, they would sing what they called the Psalms of Ascent, like Psalm 118 as an example. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And here's James trying to remember the words, and here's Jesus just rattling them off, right? And there's Psalm 119, where every paragraph starts with the next letter of the Hebrew um, alphabet, A, B, C, D, etc., right? And here's James trying to learn the alphabet, And here's Jesus knowing all the verses behind the alphabet. Now, there's a haunting verse there that I really don't know what to do with. The end of Luke chapter 2, where the Bible says, you know, they're done with with the, the temple and they're 12 years old and they're going back up. And the Bible says, and he was subject to them and grew in wisdom and stature. What does that mean about Jesus as a 12 year old? I don't know. But I, do. I know when I was 12, I was a sinner. I was a sinner well before 12. The Bible says he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Each and every one of us has our own set of problems, the world would say. We've got our own set of sins. Now, the psalmist asked God to show him his secret sins. Those are the ones that I didn't quite get convicted of yet. Go deeper into the onion. Go back to that analogy, okay? So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, I have a will, and I one time asked, and everybody else's hand went up, and they said they have a will. My will says if I go first, Jenny gets it all. Her will says if I go first, If she goes first, I get it all. And then if we're both gone, maybe in a plane wreck or a car wreck or something, the kids, this is really a legal phrase, by the way, share and share alike, right? Now, let's say one of my kids was the black sheep, and I'm going to say, you get X percent, and through all the way through through five, you all get the same percentage, and you get one percent. What's 1% of infinity? Math question. We just finished grammar. Now we're in math class. What's 1% of infinity? Infinity. That's exactly right. So when the Bible says, well, I, I, I jumped ahead of topics. So you can read that one. You know what justified is all. Justified never sin. Infinity. 
So when the Bible says we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and I don't know how I jumped ahead like that, but we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ, we each get to share infinity, which means we each all have infinity. Isn't that amazing? For all who are led by the Spirit are of God are sons of God. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I was listening once to a missionary who came back from a Muslim country. I don't know if it was Iran or Iraq. It was one of those two. And he said he ran into an imam. That's the Muslim version of preacher. And the imam just put it in his face and he said, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. And you tell me I'm still going to hell. Well, you can rattle off those words, Jesus is Lord. But if it comes from the heart, it has to come through the Holy Spirit. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I'm in another Bible study where right now we're going through Matthew, and we're doing the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. And this week was the first week that we started on the Lord's Prayer, and we never got past those two words. What does the word our mean? Not H-O-U-R. What does the word our mean? You have, a, you have a, an ownership, our. That car out there is mine. Actually, Jenny and I, it's our car. There's no lien on it. It's our car. Does that mean God is the father of all? I get a yes. That's a trick question. Anybody want to venture no? He's a free gift. Okay. You have to accept him. That's right. Jesus, with the Pharisees, said, you are of your father, the devil. And the lusts of the Father, that you will do. When we say our Father, that's a prayer for saved people. Now, in Romans, I don't know if the word's up there, it is right there in verse 15, adoption. What's the difference between adopting somebody, uh, uh, an adoptive father versus a biological father? What's the difference? One is a choice, isn't it? Okay. I've been adopted. I didn't start as a child of God. I started off safe as a baby. We have a, a time of innocence, a time before accountability. I was safe, not saved. I went safe to lost to saved. And that transition from lost to saved was an adoption. And if children, verse 17, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, what will I inherit? Well, I already said infinity. Infinity of what? We're going to see it. And when you see the word, you're going to say, wow. Ephesians 2, we're still there. What did I inherit? Infinite grace. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised, past tense, raised up with him and sealed, past tense, with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable, the infinite riches of his grace. Verse 12, I mean, chapter 12 of Romans talks about uh, spiritual gifts and talks about the spiritual gifts being distributed according to the measure of grace that God's chosen to give us. Today, we have some of the grace, but in heaven, the Bible talks about in the ages to come, we're going to have all of the grace. Can you imagine? All of the grace. Now, I've experienced the love of God. If you've been saved, you've experienced the love of God. And I can't imagine the love that it would take for someone who had every opportunity to step in to allow somebody to take my son and beat him and spit on him and rip his beard out and whip him and crucify him and watch every drop of blood because they said water and blood poured out. Watch every drop of blood be shed. That's a whole lot of love. And I've experienced a fraction of it. But one day, I'm going to experience all of it. And here comes the bonus. And... I'm going to be able to express all of it because the Bible says we will know him even as we, were, we are known. We will be like him because, because we're going to see him as he is. John says, no man has seen God to live. Well, Moses got to have a peek and we got to see the manifestation of God in the body of Jesus, but his full glorified body, even at the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John didn't see the whole thing because they had to drop dead. I'm going to see him, I'm going to be like him, and I'm going to experience his grace, I'm going to know his love, and I'm going to be able to express that love forever. This saying is trustworthy. You can take it to the bank, the stuff that I've been talking about. This saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. It doesn't come naturally. Be careful to devote yourself to good works. These things are excellent and profitable. The word Onesimus, that's the slave in this next book that we're going to study, means profitable. So there's a little segue, but we're not going to get into filming today. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and queries about the law. There were two flavors of people on the island of Crete. There were three flavors of people. There were the lost. There were saved Gentiles. 
and there were Jews lost and saved. Four. I can come up with more slices again. You know, old men, young men, old women, young women, lots of ways to slice that up. But the Jewish people in Crete, just like every other city where Paul visited, and just like every church and Bible study, there's somebody who will have an inclination to try to add something to grace. I'm not talking about more grace. Add something of self. By grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. My pastor would stop right in the middle of that. By grace are you saved, and he would say, plus nothing and minus nothing. By grace are you saved through faith. The law was nothing but a schoolmaster. Again, back to James. What's the definition of sin? Well, one, and you were paging last week, so we have, we'll come back to that. What's the definition of sin? There are three verses in specific. Sin is the transgression of the law. That which is not of faith is sin. So, you know, I'm keeping my nose clean. I haven't murdered anybody lately. But I have this doubt. That which is not of faith is sin. And the last one that you missed, because a long time ago you asked the question, could something be a sin for me and not for you? He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him or her, to him it is sin. So how I deal with my chewing gum is a sin to me, but it hasn't hit you yet. Maybe you don't have that problem. My first pastor would talk about sin A, and I'd be over here with B, C, D, E, F, and G, and I was being convicted of all those. So I'm talking about chewing gum. I don't know what your problems are, but you've got them. He says, avoid, King James uses the phrase, avoid foolish questions. Now, the problem with a foolish question is this. The person that asked the question doesn't think it's foolish. And there are some goofy questions like, who did Cain marry? Well, that's a big duh. It was his sister. You come across one of those questions, and you have to pause, and you have to say, that's an excellent question. It shows that you have an interest in Bible facts. But let me ask you this. If you were to die right now, would you know heaven is your home? And if Jesus asked you, why would I let you in, how do you answer the question? Now, those are far more relevant questions than where does, where, who, who did Cain marry, or could God create a rock he can't lift? There are you know, lots of those things. He says to avoid them. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Now, there are six things in, in the book of Proverbs that God hates, and the last one was, he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now, that word division is the word where we get is the word where we get the English word sect, like a sect of the Pharisees. Okay. What Paul is saying is, don't just cast them out. And if we cast out every sinner, the church would be empty. But the person or persons 
that are sowing heresy or creating a clique or let's undermine the pastor or who does Les Hershey think he is head elder, blah, 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 right? Warn him once, warn him twice. Now, this is, not, this is not shunning. I know that you have a history, and they always ask that question. If there was a troublemaker, let's put him out of the church, and he's on one side of the Turkey Hill Island pumping gas, and I'm on the other side, you think I'm going to go like this? No. Just to say to that person, hi, so-and-so, how are you doing? That by itself delivers a message. You're not where you're supposed to be. I heard every. I hope everybody heard that. Just as God restores us, we should be ready to restore everybody. You know, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he was talking about a man who was having sex with his with his father's wife, and they said, "Deal with him." Put them out so that the Satan can destroy the body. He was eternally saved. But when you go through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, this man was reclaimed. And he, the, the church at Corinth was told, receive him as a brother because he is a brother. But until then, at Turkey Hill, and that's it. A little different than the Amish background, right? A little different than the Jewish background. A Jewish person gets saved... And they have a funeral for them. Little. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. I don't have to deal with that. He'll be dealt with on his own. Warn him once, warn him twice. John wrote this. He said, if they went out from among us, they were not of us. Because if they went out from among us, they were not part of us. Self-condemned. This comes from Romans. There are several sections of Scripture that pull those, all these thoughts together. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Now, it's talking about doctrine. There's going to be a Chipotle meal out there, right? If somebody says, I can't handle spicy food, I'm, I'm going to do something different. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about doctrine. I'm going to end on this verse. And let our people learn. It doesn't come naturally. I started on this verse. I'm ending on this verse. To devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. I've got that picture of those starfish up there. And I'm reminded, I don't know how many years ago, we were about to not have vacation Bible school. And there was a lady, I can't remember her name, Edna or Ethel or something that started with an E. And she, I think it was, we're coming up on the 60th anniversary of vacation Bible school in this church and we weren't going to have one. And she started talking about that. And she used this analogy. She said, you go on the beach and all these, all these starfish, your efforts are futile. The person picked one up and said, threw it into the ocean, 
I saved this one. Now, let's back away from vacation Bible school. That was just the history. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. I saved this one. And that's where we're going to end. Written in your